If you are an HR professional, business owner, or at the operations level trying to understand what people want, you may be struggling. Our systems have been shocked, practices have been questioned, and culture is the leading conversation. Let's learn how culture is created, sustained, and why it should be the leading conversation when discussing hiring, training, and retention. This is the foundation of any business, and it's time to address it. So tune in to Let's Talk HR, humanizing the conversation. We tackle topics that influencers of change need to understand and struggle to overcome every day, such as where to start and what the new workforce wants and how to attract and keep positive momentum going. I'm your host, Leanne Lovely. Today, I get to talk with an amazing person. I've had the opportunity to talk with him offline, and now I'm getting the opportunity to talk with him on my podcast today. So I'm greatly honored to um, have this opportunity. Ben Zhang, um, after owning a business for almost almost two decades, Ben moved on to family life and life of consulting. He has helped businesses in a variety of fields, from operations, technologies to employee benefits. It is his diverse background and network of experts that lends value and perspective to his clients. His philosophy on business is that it's very much like raising children. They grow and change over time so that what fits today may not fit tomorrow. There will be a season for celebration and a season for tough conversations, but always there should be trust and honesty between him. It is with this reverence and responsibility that Ben builds his practice. The foundation of his work in employee benefits centers around three tenets, transparency, strategy, and trust. Welcome, Ben. I am very excited to have you on today and talk with me. Um, so thank you for joining me. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So Ben, why don't we jump right in? Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am a dad first, three kids, uh, twin four-year-olds, uh, and an eight-year-old. And I am a benefits broker with um, Transition Health Benefits. So that's what I do. And then, of course, loving husband, all that good stuff, at least on a good day. So. <laughs> What does that mean for a bad day? <laughs> uh, it means I have to try harder. That's okay. what it usually means. <laughs> right. No, I, I completely understand that. I have a crazy four-year-old, as my audience knows. You know that. We've talked about it. Well, excellent. So you are with um, Transition Health Benefits. You're a, a senior small group specialist um, there. So tell me, tell me a little bit about you know what that means. Sure. So I go into small and or medium sized employers and help them figure out their benefit package. You know, um, I really look at it as the benefits are a way that a company can show they want to take care of their people. So in my job is to kind of how to make that work within the tight margins of a small business. So there's a variety of different creative ways we use to kind of get that accomplished, along with being that kind of trusted advisor. Usually when I walk in, um, benefits and employee culture and, and HR kind of touch everything within the company. So 
If they're on a growth trajectory, that makes a difference in their benefit program. If they're trying to cut costs because this is one of those uh, tight cash flow instances within a business, that affects the the benefits. So I try and have a more holistic approach when we look at something like that because um, your culture and how you, how you take care of your people will directly impact how your people take care of your business. So those are the conversations I have and, and maneuver through. No, that's interesting. Um, I, uh, I recently was in a situation with somebody that um, loved the company that they were working at. It absolutely loved it. But had no choice but to leave that company because of the healthcare benefits. They um they knew that they were going into a situation in which they they needed a higher level of care and the benefits that they were currently getting at that company um were not going to be able to cover some of the treatment and they um were offered a job that had extremely rich benefits and they were basically looking at it going, this other benefit plan is going to cover 100% of my treatment plan or treatment. And so more that you're able to offer your people and show that you care definitely can be a direct um, impact on how that company can retain individuals. That's the bit... It's one of the most interesting things about the situation we're in where everybody talks about the great resignation, right? Is I actually believe, and I believe this with all of my being because I've seen it bear out in my own life, that COVID kind of shook everybody up. And so people got a chance to be at home and to reprioritize what they're looking for in an employer. And so I think what you end up seeing is, is people are trying to do work that's more meaningful to themselves. The challenge is always, how do I do meaningful work and not leave my family out in the cold? And I think that's where benefits play a direct um, correlation on that. Like the example you gave, if, if they can't take care of themselves or the the people whom they're in charge of, my twins or my oldest daughter or my wife, how can I work that job, right? So that's really the conversations we start having. And, and I think the hard part too is, is the healthcare system doesn't make it easy, right? So anybody who's ever pulled out an uh, explanation of benefits the first reaction through the first read through is, huh? Or if they get two pages in, they're like, I have no idea what I'm reading. Right. right. So how do you interact with the healthcare system? Mm -hmm. I, I talked to a business owner, didn't know what a deductible was mm -hmm. or a max out of pocket. How do you, how do you start to educate people in that part? Because insurance companies and um, the medical not the medical field, but um, healthcare as a business makes it their job to not be so transparent. It, it, absolutely. And now with 
the on- because of the onset of the pandemic, you have people who were cooped up in their homes. One obviously needing assistance because of health, you know, because of it's a pandemic where everybody's, you know, being exposed to this horrible thing that's wiping the nation, wiping the world. Um, but now on the flip side of that, we now have people who are experiencing mental health issues because they've been cooped up. And to your point, the healthcare system does not make it easy to understand your what you have available you know to get coverage and what is covered you you may have and the only reason i know this is because i i've experienced trying to understand my benefits trying to you may have mental health coverage but that might only be for 10 visits a year well what if you're you 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 are experiencing a massive you know social anxiety 10 visits a year is not going to help you get over the hump in the immediate so yeah to your point having more resources or and again obviously one conversation is not going to fix the problem that we have with our healthcare system but a lot but of I that think you bring up a new I was going to say, you bring up a really interesting point in the fact that, you know, those 10 visits may be explained, but what they don't say also is, is you can actually do that telephonically too. And a lot of times you get unlimited in the telephonically. And so one of the things COVID did too, was it forced us into, hey, Zoom, you can do this over video chat, you can do this over... So there are a myriad of solutions out there, but how do you have somebody whose job is like, how do you, how does a restaurant worker whose job is to take care of the people in their section or to cook the food, when do they have time to go out and become a healthcare specialist to understand how to get there? Right. Absolutely. you have to, and again, to your point, you read the first page and you go, what? What does any of that mean? I don't, and and calling them, and trust me, and, and this, again, I'm kind of bashing, and I, I don't mean to, but calling and saying, can you explain this to me? And I've experienced this where they're like, well, yeah, it's blah, 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 blah. And you're like, yeah, I read that too. I, I'm calling you because what I don't get it. <laughs> What does it mean? Well, I don't understand. I can read it just as clearly as you can read it, but I don't I don't understand it. And they're like, mm-hmm. well, well, it's this, this, and this. And you're like, okay, yep. I got the bullets on that too. What does that mean? Exactly. What does that mean? I'm... And then you get a bill and you're like, wait a second. I thought this was covered. Oh, no, not until you've met your deductible. Well, when do I meet my deductible? I feel like I should have met it. I've I've gone to the doctor a bunch of oh no no no, those were covered services. Well, that doesn't go towards my and it's like, okay, wait a second. Like I need a spreadsheet, a couple of spreadsheets to just track all of this stuff. Nobody's got the time to do that. So yeah, it is it is, yeah, it's absolutely a crazy world. And um to have somebody who takes that and tries to help at least, you know, the owners, the people making those decisions educate them on that and then to hopefully have somebody who's educated enough at a company to explain to those employees what any and all of that mean 
because it's it is i mean and i will tell you that there's been times in my life where i couldn't afford my medications and trying to navigate getting assistance through the government you have to be extremely diligent and you have to educate yourself on how to it's you you almost have to take a class on how to do that in order to get the assistance just for your basic medications right your tenacity and trying to figure out that that conundrum so to speak goes a long way i mean there's such a thing as grant writer well that's kind of what those subsidies are like is you have to write your own grant to get help with that mm -hmm. and and it's a shame too because there's a variety of different um reasons why that's all created and there's a ton of what's called pharmacy rebates that ends up trying to either if it doesn't go back to the employer which is really where it should go because they're subsidizing plans it ends up just going into um somebody else's pocket so it never really kind of reaches that consumer so there's a ton of things and and don't get me wrong, there are a ton of people in my industry doing a lot of great work to navigate that stuff. And then there are also doctors themselves who are stepping out of the brokenness of some of the systems and doing some wonderful things like direct primary care, um, which kind of harkens back to the days where your family went to see one doctor. And, and that doctor saw multiple generations of that family. And he handled probably 80 to 90% of what your medical needs were, God willing, in, in, in those days. And so people are starting to try and return to that to kind of cut out all the insulated layers within the ability to consume healthcare. You know, and it's interesting that you say that because I remember as a child growing up in a small, it was considered a small town at that time. Um, it's not so small now. It's, you know, like any small town that's close to a, a big city. It's, it's booming. It's growing. Um, I went to the same pediatric doctor and I remember what, at, at what point he said to me, you, you can't come to me anymore. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, you're 18. You need to go and find, you know, a a new primary care doctor. Like, girl doctor. You're, you're firing me. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, he's like, well, you don't fall under pediatrics anymore. <laughs> oh, no, you had to get a big girl doctor. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't want to go to anybody else. Like you've been seeing me since I was born. <laughs> and right. and like, what do you mean? And I, because I went, you know, I went to the military at 17. He was my doctor. I came back. I'm 18 years old and I'm like making an appointment and they're all looking at me funny. I'm like, what? Like, like, okay, this is pediatrics. <laughs> like, shit, I don't want to go anywhere else. You know, but up until that point, that was the only doctor I had ever seen. And then all of a sudden you go and you start seeing somebody else and then you move, I moved out of that town into, you know, into a bigger city. And, um, and then it was like, I got a new doctor, that doctor retired. I had to find a new doc. And when I was younger, it took, you know, if I called the doctor's office, they could sometimes see me same day. 
nowadays if you need to be same seen same day they're like you probably should go to urgent care i'm like what do you what do you mean you can't see you're my doctor like how in fact i don't even see a doctor i see my doctor's um nurse practitioner but my primary care doctor is listed as somebody else i've never even met her and i'm like okay that's weird but i guess that's common practice it's changed so much. Of course, I'm, you know, again, I'm 41 years old. So it's, I mean, the healthcare system is just, it's so different from when I was a child compared to the way that it is now. And now if, you know, I call and say, Hey, I have, you know, this problem, they're like, Oh, you should see a specialist. Right. And there's, I mean, there's a, there's some great books out on American sickness. Well, both, infuriate you and educate you in a lot of kind of how things have evolved Mm -hmm. you know it's kind of like a big snowball you just keep adding pieces in and then the next thing you know you're like yeah that was supposed to be the head and I don't know if I can get it now it's the bottom of a new body of a snowman right Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of that kind of stuff within the healthcare system today and so um, and that makes it tough, right? If you're a small business owner, if you own a restaurant or, you know, your your job is to cut hair or to manage a salon full of stylists, who who gave you a healthcare administrative degree along the way? Right. There's nobody out there, right? So, um, you know, and there's the individual marketplace too. And that those are, it's become an amazing resource for some of those solopreneurs. And you can go on healthcare.gov and you can sign up yourself and do that. But I think one of the things that people don't know is that there are people like me out there that they can use free of charge. So um, so you don't have to try and navigate a health plan because a lot of times you'll do it based on price. Well, maybe you're spending, you know, anywhere from two to a thousand dollars a month on something that's not going to work for you either is over insuring you or under insuring so yeah education is always that kind of sticking point and how do you get it how do you get it right so you have an interesting background so i'm going to kind of shift here you you actually you come from the restaurant industry and so it's i i'm not going to say that you know how do you end up in in healthcare. Uh, I mean, usually people are like, Hey, you want to talk about healthcare? No, no, I don't. I'm going to run. <laughs> See <what>. you later. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's I, not I, a <laughs> sexy profession by any means. Right. But it's, so. it's, but it's a necessary and definitely something that we, it, a conversation we need to continue to have. But what I want to focus on now is, you know, you, you come from the restaurant industry. And so talk to me about that. So I have had a very gypsy lifestyle up to a certain point, right? And so um, I owned a restaurant before I'd ever worked in one. Do not recommend it for anybody who who, who wants to go this path. Um, so it was a lot of like 99% perspiration, 1% inspiration. Um, but it it teaches you quite a bit. And I always say, if you want to find a hard worker, um, hire a manager in a restaurant because they've 
they've eaten enough garbage, so to speak, from both ends of the stick, either the owner and the uh, customer to be able to handle a very high stress point. Um, I left my restaurant when my wife and I got together and I remember having a conversation that we had a great staff coming in and that I would be down to 65 hours a, a week. And my wife literally said, you know, the normal work week is 40. And my comment out to her was, well, what do people do with the other four days? I don't, I don't know what that means. And so that kind of stuck. And so it, I was older when I met my wife and we wanted to have kids and um, I knew it was going to be kind of a, a choice between doing the restaurant or um, being with my wife and, and seeing my kids. And so uh, I made the move before any of the kids had come along, but I made the move so that when they did come along, I, I could be there for them. And, you know, restaurants are interesting and sometimes I feel like they're they're not given their due as far as what they are, because really it's every side of business in a restaurant. There's research and development, there's production, there's the accounting, there is uh, cash flow management. All of that is within a restaurant. And so the thing that I took from it is that kind of small business mindset. And, and I did some consulting as I moved kind of down this line and the two themes that have always kind of played true in my life is those people that were resources for me, I appreciated highly. And the other thing I didn't like was a bully in a room. So there was a bully in the room. I was, I didn't like bullies, so I didn't take it well. And so how I ended up here is, is when you look at small businesses, probably their top expense is their employee. But their second expense is the employee benefit package, how they take care of it. Mm -hmm. And so the lack of transparency, how does a business owner take the second largest expense and not have it transparent? How do you eat an 8% year over year increase in it? And so I felt like I could make a difference here in this part of it. And so my... When I left the restaurant industry, I had my sister works at a, a large firm, Gallagher, Arthur Gallagher in uh, St. Louis. And she said, I think you'd really like the work we do and how, how much impact it can have. And so as I started to make my transition, it was always selling into businesses, but really being that resource for them. How can I help them, you know? So if I sold cameras into a, a business, uh, like a big brother kind of uh, maintenance security, which is what I did for a little bit, it was really, how do you use this to help strengthen your KPIs? How do you use this as a culture tour, tour and, and not a stick? How can you carrot or incentivize good behavior? So uh, it taught me a lot of of things on how to kind of shape your culture and behaviors and habits within the business. And so when I deal with a, a owner of a restaurant or I deal with a small business owner, 
the conversations we have, I think, are far more helpful in the fact that, you know, I want to explain what the structure is, where the problems are, and then how do we attack it? How do we how do we create solutions for it? And if that solution is employee benefits, great. If it's if it's a twist of um, giving them other HR resources that help kind of shape that culture before employee benefits come in, because if your culture is awful and you give out great benefits, that doesn't it doesn't matter. It really has to the behavior of of your company and community within your company have to be such that it's a stable environment so absolutely and and you come from ownership you know you you own the company so being able to come in as somebody who's been there done that creating that culture and and walk in and have a, a very open honest conversation with another business owner you know, from the standpoint of, hey, I understand it's hard. I understand that this is a huge expense, but let's take a look. Let's figure out what, you know, what the next step is for you. And and really being the, the consultant versus the salesperson um, is, is huge to anybody. When you take that approach versus the, hey, here's my product. What are you going to buy from me instead of, you know, or, you know, coming in as the, all right, let's let's talk about you know your your company as a as a whole. And you said that you take mm-hmm. the holistic approach of let's open up, you know, just have an open conversation about everything and figure out where, you know, where I can possibly assist you. And that's definitely mm-hmm. um beneficial. It, it it's the building the relationship. It's the you know, the human side of of what I the reason that um, people like you and I exist is to is to have those human conversations, make those human connections. Absolutely. I got off the phone earlier today with a company that was looking at benefits, right? So my job is to sell benefits, right. to, to broker those deals. Mm-hmm. Only this company wasn't in any shape to do benefits. The the woman who was the director of sales, it was a two-man company right now. They'll be ramping up soon, but they're in the process of getting funding and all the private equity money coming in. And um, the owner was a disabled vet. So he had benefits through the VA and the director of sales had great benefits through her husband. So I'm like, it doesn't sound like you guys are ready yet. I'm happy to start to run those things. And mm-hmm. I'm sure we could throw you on a plan, but why that doesn't quite make sense. And so there are things that um, I gave her a process to follow as they start to bring on those employers, because maybe a group plan isn't the right play for you as a business. Mm-hmm. There are, there's a, a tool that was called an ICRA and um, a friend of mine who's in insurance made a joke and I now steal it and call it my own, but um, insurance people give out acronyms like Oprah gives out cars. <laughs> so the it's an acronym of an individual choice health reimbursement arrangement. And basically what it says is an employer says, you know, this is my budget. This is what I can give toward your health care, um, whatever that number is. And then 
you as an employee can work with somebody like me um, and go out on the individual marketplace and grab your own insurance. And then I'll be able to reimburse you as a business owner X amount of dollars towards that. And maybe that's the first step before getting on a group health plan. Right. You know, there are a variety of different ways. There's, you know, medical sharing programs that are not actually insurance that kind of help take care of your people. There's the gym membership of kind of all you can eat health care for direct primary care. There's a ton of different ways out there. And if all you're looking at, and some of those are commissionable products for me and some aren't. But if you're looking to try and take care of people, I live and breathe in these communities. So if those businesses succeed, our communities are better. And so, you know, if if you're just looking at bottom dollar costs and um, how to make how to make your your mark on things, I think how you make your mark on things is humanizing what we do. You know, it's people that we're taking care of. It's not just health plans. It's my, communities. My dad has told me a couple of times, Leanne, you can't, you can't, and this is not related to sales because this is not the way that I am, but um, I'm, <laughs> I sometimes run my mouth. Um, when I get heated about certain topics, I'm, I'm very quick mm-hmm. to be like, no, I'm going to, you know, I'm very much like you. I don't like bullies in the room. Um, I, I, I'm very quick to, um, defend people I'm very quick and I'm so I I do have a tendency to you know my dad always tells me Leanne stop being a bull in a china shop and it is the salespeople who are the bulls in a china shop who are just absolutely positively um I'm going to go in there and make a sale no matter what that are the people who are basically just a, a flash in the pan that they come they get hired uh, they they last maybe a year two years and quickly are found out for not caring about the people they serve. But when yeah. you are somebody who genuinely cares about the outcome and the people that you serve, um, you build a community like you were saying of people who ultimately will refer other business. I have said to some of the people who have called me and said, "Hey, I would like to." Have you help me and, and you find somebody to hire at our, our company? And then we, we talk about numbers. We talk about this. And ultimately, I'll go, you know, I actually have recommendations on how you can do this yourself in a more affordable way. And they're like, well, well no, I want you to do this. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You, you can't afford my services. Right. Let me help you do this this way. And, and, and walked away from that. That is the person who's sending me referrals to other businesses who can afford my services or sends me a great candidate. Um, and one day, maybe as they, as a business grows, they come back to me and they're like, Hey, we can now afford your services. And you're the only company that we thought of because of that. But that's what it's about. Human, humans as a resource and people, you know, doing the right thing and creating those and and yeah that's that's awesome so you it sounds like it wasn't a difficult decision for you when you decided to leave the restaurant industry i mean uh, awesome. incredibly difficult 
Was it? Incredibly different. Oh, yeah. It was all I had ever known. I had run that business for 20 years. It was part of my identity. It was it was every bit a part of me as the new life I was trying to build. Come on. You've got a beautiful, I've, I've never seen your wife. I'm going to make the assumption, a She's beautiful, gorgeous. awesome yes. woman who's like, I want to marry you, have children. All you have to do is leave everything you've ever known. <laughs> okay. Now I'm seeing yeah. how it was difficult. <laughs> And and let's be clear, she did not no. she did not push this on. But there does come a point in your life where you're at a crossroads. Right. And I remember I had some great mentors in the restaurant business. And and one of them was um a gentleman named Ray who ran the original Margaritaville. And he was divorced and he was telling me about the time. He was managing restaurants before he had managed Margaritaville and he'd been married. And his wife said, we should open a restaurant together. And Ray said, absolutely not. And she said, why? And he says, we'll be divorced in six months. Well, he was wrong. It was four months oh and they were God. divorced. Because it's a, it's not an easy thing. And, and my wife worked within my restaurant for uh, a number of years. But the there were a number of different factors right. in housing markets and and all of that kind of came into play. And so when I left the restaurant business, I knew I'd wanted to make a trade or transition into sales and and preferably probably find something like what I'm doing now. And uh, no, it was incredibly difficult because there's the whole learning curve. Yeah, I can. I can walk into a restaurant today and know what the kitchen's what's going on in the kitchen, what's going on in the front in in probably 30 seconds and be pretty accurate as far as as the pulse of the, the place. Are there any restaurants that we should have, no, I'm kidding. Don't don't answer that. Are there restaurants yeah. that you recommend? There are a ton of restaurant great restaurants around here. There um there are there there just are and unfortunately i don't get out as much as i as i probably should um you and i have done um a restaurant we're probably going to do sushi later yeah, so we are. there's some yes. yeah there's some great restaurants out there and so i can plug them but um you know what i would say right now is is be kind to those people in the restaurant industry because right now the restaurant industry is growing in the fact that for a long time, it's been able to dictate terms towards employees. Mm -hmm. And as they are coming to find out, as every other employer out there, it's going to be a two-way street for a little bit here. And it's probably going to be a bumpy road. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, so that's what I would say on, on restaurants. But making that transition was incredibly difficult. Yeah. And and I want to mimic that. Um, what you said is is be kind to your servers. Be kind to the people in the service industry. They every single one of them went through a horrific. Obviously, the world went through a horrific event. But the people in the service industry and those who have gone back to it, um, we we need them. We absolutely need them, and they need to they need to feel special um, about that. I've. Um, I've made a point to every time I go somewhere to make sure that I tip generously because 
because I enjoy being able to eat in a restaurant. Um, and I never realized how much I would miss it until I couldn't eat in a restaurant. <laughs> so it, yeah, yeah, most of them are doing it short staff now too. Right. So yep. it's, that's interesting. And it frustrates um, me when I hear somebody saying, Oh my God, the service is so bad. And I'm thinking to myself, and that's the bully in the room. That's the bully. I want to stand up. I walk over to being like, do you, do you have any idea how, the men and women are hustling or i shouldn't say men and women anymore i should say do you have any idea how the people in this restaurant are hustling and trying to make everything you know your experience awesome despite the fact that they are probably running on a you know a a shift that's meant for an additional five people or an additional like stop complaining like stop being a snob like it's tough it that's i mean it's tough and i think it's a really good mirror of what's going on in, mm-hmm. in a lot of businesses today. And there are some businesses that I talk to and they're having the exact opposite um, problem. Like they're like, Oh my God, we're growing so fast. You know, COVID was actually really good for our business. Yeah. Sorry to say, because, because chain uh, pattern shifted. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, there's going to be some businesses on the better end of that pattern, some that are on the worst. So, um, yeah, so that's, I think when you talk, one of the reasons I was so excited about your podcast is you talk about the humanizing mm-hmm. the experience. And I think um, as I got to transition out of one career and then into another career of of helping small businesses, one of the things I became very aware of in my own struggles as an entrepreneur and helping young entrepreneurs or even well-established is there's always the education piece that nobody gave. There was like, there's no class that says, Hey, this is how a health plan works or, Mm -hmm. Hey, this is how you buy your first home or, Hey, this is what a checkbook is. And how do you, (laughs) how do you run it? You know, or, Hey, if, if, all of your vendors are in a 30 day notice, but your, your customers don't pay you for 90 days. What do you do for those 60 days? Like right. that there's just a ton of that kind of education that life has to kind of teach you. And, mm-hmm. and so for me, I, I, I'm always real appreciative of the days that I get to actually help people and, right. and make a difference in what they're doing. Right. And and you you are very much an advocate of, um, you know, employees and, um, you know, creating and fostering healthy work environments um, just through your your past experience of being a business owner. And now, you know, trying to, you know, offer as much assistance in in training for, you know, the benefits that you offer. And that's awesome. Um, I actually you were recently on a another podcast um, where you talked about, um, uh, oh, sure. Uh, defining leaders. So I think one of the conversations I was in was, you know, we're hiring, we're bringing people up in our organizations that haven't necessarily had any management training and, and what they, what they have is the ability to show up, right? Mm-hmm. And availability is sometimes the biggest ability that you can have in a business, but it doesn't mean you've necessarily been prepared for the role you've been thrust into. And so I think cult- 
culturally and from a leader and owner perspective, you have to really bring those people up. Mm -hmm. And then you have to help them find a way to find the training they need to be able to do the job that they do. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I have very much enjoyed and have, uh, it's been a gift in my life is the network of people that I deal with mm -hmm. on a daily basis. Um, you know, I'm always around financial advisors. I'm around CPAs. I'm around HR professionals and they all make me smarter. And so there's that saying, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Mm -hmm. Let's I just say I'm never in the wrong room. So I love that saying. I love that yeah. saying. And absolutely. Well, not that yeah, you're so, not that you're in the wrong room. I'm just saying that that's the, the greatest thing, because, yeah, you always want to try to level yourself up. Right. Learning from yeah. other people. Well, and, and that ability to when you bring somebody new up the organization, they're they're passionate and they care about the very organization you're trying to build. But they may not they may not have been able to talk to an employee they may not know what a deductible is and suddenly they're they're in charge of a health plan so um it's it's an interesting conversation when i get to work with those people because then it's not just about the health plan it's about okay how can i help you in your organization what resources can i get to you i worked with a business um that was looking to hire uh an executive to manage kind of as an operations manager and the owner herself hadn't defined the role well enough that she was going to get out and get um, a bigger talent than was needed for the role she actually wanted to do and so it wasn't that she needed that role filled she needed to be able to find the roles she needed filled in her company and I was able to give her to a good friend of mine who helped her walk through job descriptions. How do you create these kinds of things? Because sometimes it's the basics that help you build a company that grows quickly. And a lot of times companies are kind of hit with that growth cycle where they have grown so fast that instead of having a system underneath them, they have Betty or they have Judy. And one of the things you'll hear me say often is probably Betty is not a system. Mm -hmm. Put your systems in the bus or lottery test, depending on which cup half full or half empty, you know, mm -hmm. if Betty's hit by a bus, what happens to your system? Right. If Betty wins the lottery and decides she's going to be on a beach, what happens to your system? Right. Yep. I was recently talking, <laughs> I was recently talking with somebody who, um, and actually, she she was on my podcast she came on and and she was talking to me about um running she was asked to come in and help her dad run his business and she said when she came in um everything was being run on you know a rolodex and on a whiteboard and she she goes you know what well, what what happens when the whiteboard gets wiped off or cleaned off and i was like oh my god she goes yep there go the records how would somebody be running a business like that? But you're right. Um, and and to your point of, you know, what happens if Betty gets hit by a bus? And for some reason, I always go with the karma bus. 
<laughs> but I am a half. I am a girl. You know, it's got my glass half full. Um, and if it's not at least half full, I'm I'm refilling it. It's really bad when it's got alcohol in it because by that time I'm falling over. Anyways, um, I am a definitely a process person and there are a lot of industries out there that struggle with that because um, for so long it was hold your processes close to the chest or they're going to fire you if you if you give them what your processes are because then now you're going to, you know, you're no longer going to be as valuable and that was very much the way that a lot of manufacturing those are they're still old school in that sense where some of the the baby boomers they don't want anybody to know what their processes are it's not so much in the office settings anymore but that's still the way it is on the manufacturing floor with some of these guys who are running these cnc machines and some of these you know legacy machines um, I think we're finally getting away from that being like the trend, but you're right. There are still some old school companies that are um, like, hey, no, we can just do it the way that it's always been done. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa wait a second. Like you, you, you have to have. And that is also also a, a cultural thing. And if you are not actively working on your culture at a company, if you are not actively trying to create and foster that culture, a culture will start to create itself. And that's usually created by the squeakiest, loudest person in the room. And often mm -hmm. that is the negative people who are complaining and pissing and moaning. Yeah. Well, and I think Part of part of what I deal with when I come in and I look at an organization is I look at do they want to change? Like you look at that whiteboard instance that you gave, what you have, and you're like, how does that happen? And I can tell you exactly how that's happened. Is you have a very talented, creative, driven person who starts a business. Like they want to manufacture that widget. Well, they don't know anything about anything else but manufacturing that widget. And so a whiteboard is all they needed to manufacture that widget. And then the government says, oh, you should pay taxes and oh, you should have health care and oh, you should do all of these. And don't forget your form, you know, 999 or whatever it is and you need it in triplicate. And then suddenly a business owner goes, I don't know what you just said to me. Like, what? All, all I want to do is make widgets, right? <laughs> right. And so, and then you have to kind of see, you know, I've met a couple different people where the son and daughter are like, you know, this is the way dad does it. And this is going to be the way it is until the end of time. And then you say, great. Then that's, that's, that's your culture. And that's right. okay too. You know, we're old school. We like to do it by hand. Right fine then embrace your old schoolness you know remove the barriers to those celebrations of old school right and that's and that's fine but there's going to come a point where you're going to have a young kid that you really want to hire and he's going to walk in and go i can't work here 
I really, I want to work on a computer. I want to do the newest and coolest technology. So they also have to understand that they're going to have some other major challenges. Like eventually when they don't want to do some of the accounting or filing all of the the taxes and paperwork and they want to hire somebody, they're going to have to find a 60 year old to do it because a young 25 year old is not going to come in and say, sure, I'll do it this way. (laughs) They're going to come in and go, uh, nope, I need QuickBooks or I need the whatever system. I need this system. I need blah, blah, blah. And they're going to go, no, we don't have any of that. And they're going to go, well, then I can't do it for you. So it, it's fine. You want If you want that to be your culture, just know that there is a possibility that your culture and your business could very well be obsolete in the next 10 years. It could. It could. I, I think of it like this. You know, there are restaurants that have three floors and they have a three or 300 seat restaurant and then you have uh places like ardent downtown who's probably got maybe 20 seats there's a different there's a different model in each and i think um if you look at ardent i don't think that gentleman is not successful James Beard nominated chef, but he doesn't have the 300 seats that you have. There's a great book called the subtle art of not giving a, and I won't finish it, but um, there's, it, it talks about the fact that, and it says it in a little different term. So I'll use my four-year-old voice of there's a poop sandwich in anything you do. You know, your job is to figure out, if you can eat it, so to speak, money problems, whether you have it or you don't have it, it's, you still got problems. Mm-hmm. And so any business is like that. And so, you know, there's that saying of be who you can afford to be. Mm-hmm. And if you're a legacy company and you have a very niche product and it doesn't matter, you're the only one they're going right. to pick it up from, you know, healthcare big big carrier insurance is not known for their customer and service but you can't go anywhere without them so it's that be who you can afford to be mm-hmm. so you know i feel like i can afford to be i have to be good i have to be a good human mm-hmm. that's what i can afford to be I am rich enough to be a jerk to everybody. So nor do I live on my own private island. So, (laughs) you know, I I think being a good human is is where we start and and where we end up. Right. No. And and that that absolutely makes sense. If you're going to be the little guy and, um, you know, starting out, you're going to have to be the the good. You're going to have to be good customer service. You're going to have to be. Absolutely. If you're the Amazon of the world, well, I don't remember a time when I, I don't remember a week that I didn't order something from Amazon. It's just, I mean, plain and simple. However, can that be lost? Can they lose? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Things change. I don't think Blockbuster ever thought they were going to lose. You're right. 
you're absolutely right. Blockbuster at the time was the only place to go to get your movies. That was the only mm. place. I mean, and the gentleman that started Netflix started it because he had like a seventy dollar late fee on a on a video. I did not know that. But yeah, I mean, the the entire story of Blockbuster, they refused to change with the times. And by the time they did, it was too late. Everybody was on Netflix, everybody. And I hung on to Blockbuster as long as I possibly could. And eventually I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to Netflix because they they even were bad, even eventually became bad at that. It, it's, yeah. Okay, well, we are coming to time. And I have the question of the season. So, um, if you could go back to your younger self and give yourself advice, when would you go back and what advice would you give yourself? I would go back to when I was 20. And I would tell myself to practice adulting. Practice adulting. I yeah. think uh, I, I think that's probably the best answer I've heard yet. Yeah. Because the things that we struggle with, the big burning existence questions, you know, it, if you practiced on adulting, you could simplify that pretty quick. Yeah. If you weren't letting the emergencies of life because you just didn't know get in the way. You could probably hug your kids more. Yes. Yeah. Give your I, wife flowers more. Yeah. Yeah. Things like that. I'd like flowers more. Yeah. It, it's the amount of things that you don't know that you don't know. I mean, if I just sat down and started making a list of the amount of things from the time that I turned 18 and went to my pediatrician at 18, hey, that would have been a good thing to know before I made an appointment and then was embarrassed by my doctor saying, um, you're not supposed to be coming here anymore. Oh, where do I go? <laughs> I mean, but if I sat down and really just was like, okay, um, the things that I, that I didn't know that I had to learn in either an embarrassing way or that I had to call my, here's a, here's a great story for you. Brief. I'll make it brief because this could be a long story. My, um, my brother is very much like me, action oriented, action oriented. Um, you know, something needs to be, get done. My brothers are actually more insane than me. Um, they, I don't know how they're older than me, three years older than me, and they have more energy than me. Um, they're like little firecrackers. I remember my husband once told me that when he actually not too long ago, he was, when I met your brothers, I thought they were insane. I'm like, what? They're so they're so even keel. He's like even keel. He's like, have you ever had a conversation with them? They stand in the middle of the room and rock. I'm like, oh, yeah. I guess I grew up with them. I'm like, I just that's just normal. Like they never really sit down and relax. And like they're just those types of people. They're like hyper active, always moving people. So, anyways, um. My brother once called my dad and said, hey, dad, how do I make, and now my brother was probably, I would say he's probably 25, maybe a little older, 26. My dad, he called and said, hey, dad, how do I make pork chops? 
And my dad was sitting in front of, um, I think, one of his clients or something. And my dad goes, oh, yeah, pork chops. Oh, really easy. Put them in the toaster. Drop them in there and uh, just push the toaster button down. And uh, when it pops up, they're done. And now somebody on the other line is listening. Somebody who's sitting with my dad is is listening to this. And uh, he hangs up the phone. And my brother's just like, okay. Obviously, my brother didn't do this, um, but he got the indication that, oh, dad's, you know, in a meeting or whatever. But my dad's client goes, you didn't really just tell your son to cook pork chops in a toaster, did you? <laughs> but it's like the simple things of like, you get out, you get out into the real world and the things that you don't know how to do. It's insane. It is. It, it's, and obviously that's part of growing up. But, and I could go on and on with the list of shit that my brother, like, hey, brother, get your mail out of the mailbox because there's actually important stuff that gets mailed to you. He used to just get it out of the mailbox and throw it directly into the garbage. Um, never even open it. And he lost a, a check that way. <laughs> From the government that he actually then had to have them reissue, which was, you know, a huge thing. Anyways, he, he's he's a simplify guy. Like, I don't want to have to deal with this. He was a bachelor for a really long time. Anyways, um, so yes, I I think so far this season that is probably the best answer. Um, because if you were to ask a kid nowadays what is uh you know how to write a check, they would there are some kids out there and when i say kids i'm talking about you know 20 year old they would go what's a check well here's here's the other piece of advice i would give myself too is i would start investing while i was young yeah nobody ever tells you that this money thing your lack of an ability to manage it beginning or ending is going to come back mm-hmm. and that the the throwaway years are really ex experience throwaway. They're not necessarily financial throwaway years. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, um, I wish I would have definitely done that. Yeah. Well, Hey, um, Ben, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, you, you, you've definitely had some awesome experience. Uh, uh, well now been, this is on your second career, um, you know, coming from a, a completely different industry and, um, you know, now moving into where you're at. And I love hearing that story. And um, yeah, it's just been really fun. So thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you having me on. This has been a fun. Thank you again for listening to Let's Talk HR. I appreciate your time and support. Without you, the audience, this would not be possible. So don't forget that if you enjoyed this episode, to follow us, like us, or share us. Have a wonderful day.